Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Monique Coven. I'm the host. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach. I've worked for over 25 years as a social worker, and I'm a survivor. The Trauma Healing Podcast is for those who are healing trauma and finding ways to navigate through this messy, uncomfortable, and challenging recovery process. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information to validate, inspire you, support you on your healing recovery journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors, trauma experts, and trauma therapists in the field that will provide information on effective trauma healing modalities, tools, techniques, skills, all in hopes of helping you heal. If you'd like to find out more information on trauma recovery healing, please go to my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page at cptsdcoach. Welcome everyone. So today's guest is psychotherapist Kelly McDaniel and she is the author of Ready to Heal and we're going to be talking about some of the things uh, she discusses in her second book, Mother Hunger, which identifies the attachment to trauma between mother and daughters and what, what that can create internally. I hope you find this episode helpful. You can support this podcast for the equivalent of a cup of coffee by clicking on the link in the show notes at buymeacoffee.com slash healing trauma. Your support will help keep these trauma-informed episodes coming. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me here with you today. Yes, I am looking forward to discussing Mother Hunger. And actually, how did you come up with the name Mother Hunger? What a good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I think the name found me actually when I was writing my first book. Um, I wrote a book called Ready to Heal written for women who were struggling with addictive love, addictive sexual patterns. And I had been working with, with women for quite some time. And there was this common, common denominator that kept coming up, which is a hunger for love, um, which I think is pretty easy to understand. But when I would trace back when it began, universally, each person I worked with, it began with her mother. And hmm. so it started to occur to me that there's a, there's a hunger for a maternal quality of love. And I named it Mother Hunger back in 2008 in the, in the book. And I was so scared to say it that it was just a small little paragraph. Um, but then in 2012, another edition of that book, my publisher wanted. And so they invited me to write a whole chapter about mother hunger because that seemed to be what was speaking to everyone. Um, and now years later, there's a whole book 
coming out about it. So it struck a nerve, I think. Yeah. I mean, mother hunger, uh, I mean, isn't, isn't, um, you know, having a secure attachment, isn't that like the foundation of our, of our well-being as a, as a human being, if we're securely attached to our, to our mom and that, that that's just like a natural, um, like biological imperative, isn't it? To be, um, attached to our moms. It definitely is. And I think there's part of the reason that this concept is resonating for so many of us is because secure attachment was not a concept that many of our mothers were taught or their mothers were taught Mm. or their mothers were taught. I mean, attachment theory has really only recently began gaining ground as the dominant psychological paradigm that should inform our parenting practices, but it hasn't. And I think it's not the attachment theorists that tell mothers to put their baby down in a crib alone to cry it out. That is a breeding ground for mother hunger to grow. And most well-meaning mothers were just following experts, Mm -hmm. you know, and those experts were not attachment experts. Yeah. So that's a whole nother topic. We could talk about attachment and I'm so glad you brought it up because it might be helpful to just keep in mind that about right now, the science tells us that 50% of the population are securely attached. Well, if that's true, those folks do not, resonate with the concept of mother hunger because they have a secure attachment. Mm -hmm. But that leaves 50% of the population that does not have a secure attachment. Those folks will resonate with this concept in some degree, and there are different degrees of mother hunger. Okay. And well, can you explain what you mean by mother hunger? Definitely. Um, The simple definition is being hungry for a certain quality of love and that quality of love when we're adults sometimes gets confused with romantic love Mm -hmm. Um, and what we really are yearning for is this kind of unconditional all present nurturing protective safe inspiring love Mm -hmm. and so when I had to quantify this concept in order to write another book and really to do the treatment that I do, I came up with the three things that we want from a mother Mm -hmm. that we actually need, right? In order to have secure attachment. First and foremost, we need nurture. We need then protection. And if those two primary needs are met, we're in really good shape, but we still then later need her guidance. So Mother hunger will be different based on which of those things you did receive or didn't. For some, for some women, they may have had a lot of nurturing from their mother, and that put them on a really good foundation. But then later, um, she may not have had enough of her own development to be someone who would be inspiring for you or someone you could look up to. She maybe didn't know how to set boundaries, and so mm-hmm. you needed guidance somewhere else. Um, Yes, that there are different degrees of mother hunger based on which maternal elements you received and which maternal elements were missing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to think uh, if there's anything in those three. Do you want to talk about those three? Um, sure. A little, yeah. 
Okay. I think it'd be helpful to talk about those three. Um, nurturing and protection are the two most primitive needs that we mm -hmm. have as little baby humans, right? We come into this world totally vulnerable, totally dependent, and wired to attach to our biological mother. We've already become familiar with her in utero. We know the sound of her voice. We are linked up, our heartbeat with hers. So infants can already show signs that they recognize and prefer the sound of their mothers, the smell of their mothers, the proximity of their mothers. And nurturing happens immediately with skin-to-skin -skin contact and as much proximity as possible, which is why they call the first three months the fourth trimester that humans mm. are, are born so vulnerable and they really need to stay very, very close to that mother figure for the first three months, but really the first three years. And I could do a whole segment on nurturing and what it looks like in the first three years. But I think it's for purposes of, of what we're talking about today, I just want to say that um, this is a, a pretty complicated concept, especially for um, members in, who may be listening who were given up for adoption mm -hmm. um, um, and didn't have access to their biological mothers or maybe uh, the biological mother became ill or sick early, early on. So there's no actual memory of what it was like to be in her care. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and in the book that I'm um, that's coming out in the summer, I talk a little bit about the legacy of of kind of an implicit cellular memory of rejection from that lack of just her touch and her proximity after birth. Um, but nurturing involves um, staying close, carrying. We um, we're designed to be carried. We're designed to be responded to when we're crying. Um, we need the familiarity of someone in those first three years before we're really um, speaking. And our body is holding the memory of what nurturing feels like. So if we had adequate nurturing, that's a great foundation for secure attachment. If we mm -hmm. didn't, which could come from having a mother that's compromised for any number of reasons, not to mention her own mother hunger. Um, and I know that for many of us that were raised by mothers that were unavailable or not very nurturing, it can be a pretty significant learning curve to attune to our own children um, and to provide that attachment. The next category is protection, keeping an infant safe, keeping a toddler safe. These are essential for developing secure attachment. And protection needs don't really go away as little girls grow up and become part of a world that... Um, makes her a sexual prey. So mothers have a big job protecting daughters in particular. Um, and then for guidance, one of my favorite examples of this is the recent memoir written called Wild Game. Um, a, a story of a mother that made her daughter kind of her confidant when she began having an affair and her daughter's just 14. This is a great example of poor maternal guidance. Um, so anyway, I could go on and on about guidance, but you get the idea. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, what about those, those moms who, um, young moms, let's say who are now moms and, um, they did not grow up with, um, like their, their own mothers were, um, just like unavailable in terms of being, um, maybe frightened and not as, you know, somebody that they could receive nurture from instead they received, um, you know, abuse or, you know, something terrifying. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Well, what I talk about in, when I'm writing mother hunger and helping women understand this is there's two there, when we're talking about a mother who was frightening, we have two categories. We have the mother who was so scared herself. She was so compromised that she could not protect her daughter Mm -hmm. from either aggressive siblings, other caregivers, the world in general, because of her own lack of safety. And then we have the mother who herself was causing the harm. And that is the category that I call third degree mother hunger. And it's different from a mother who's frightened and therefore cannot protect. In in the case of third degree mother hunger, we have the mother who, yes, she was frightened. Yes, she didn't nurture. She didn't guide. She didn't do any of it. And she was harmful. She Mm -hmm. herself was threatening and abusive physically or emotionally um, and sometimes sexually. What that creates is a relational burn that has its own category. And I'm really excited to be talking to you about this because we're coming into an age and a time where we understand complex post-traumatic stress, Mm -hmm. which is the nature of stress that is not one time. There is no post right? It's ongoing and it's, it seems never ending. And so when little ones grow up with a mother who offers no nurturing, no protection, no guidance, and she herself is the threat, it creates an impossible relational bind. Like we have to attach to her. We're wired for that. And if we learn to attach to someone who's threatening us and dangerous, we will replicate that throughout our lives. That's the nature of complex post-traumatic stress that's where we learn to dissociate and that can become chronic. And truly, I think this is the foundation of horrible diagnoses that I find totally unhelpful, such as borderline or bipolar. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, you're touching on, on, on so much there. Um, yeah. 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 I don't even know what to say. I mean, the last piece is basically, you know, um, you're talking about the diagnosis, basically, that underneath these, these diagnosis of borderline and, and possibly bipolar is complex trauma. I think um, so. That's yeah. my opinion. And from the research and the years of working, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. there's a profound attachment injury there w- that involved needing to adapt to a caregiver that was so scary that we do not ever form an attachment deep inside ourselves. And so what happens there is our personality looks totally erratic. um, And it fits into categories that unfortunately the DSM has um, labeled in ways that many women find shaming, um, Mm -hmm. pathologizing, Mm -hmm. and they seem to cause more harm. And it's why I felt it really important to include a significant part of this book to understand why when a little one is is threatened by her first love, her whole personality formation then is going to be 
um, on somewhere on the spectrum of um, a dissociative place, um, mm -hmm. a place of emotional dysregulation where yeah. highs and lows, mood problems, weight problems, it, it, it just, the whole personality structure um, doesn't get to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I'm thinking about um, that, that you're, you're basically just responding to threats and uh, adapting to, you know, whether that's, I'll become invisible, I'll stay out of her way, I'll, all these things. And then we kind of think that that's, that's who we are exactly. when really they, they were repeated um, self-protective measures. And, and, you know, we end up having them in life because they kind of got wired in. And um, so we kind of feel like they're, they're, they're us when we don't really see that they're adaptions and learned and wow. Yeah, exactly. Those adaptations become so strong because we needed to survive that we lose our innocence. We lose the core of who we are. And it's important to normalize this because I think it helps us then go reclaim who we are. And so my hope in writing this book is that if a woman can identify, oh, I missed out on nurturing or I missed protection or no, I had those things, but I missed out on guidance. Then we know how to heal. We know what to go back and find and get help with. And if we missed out on all of it, again, it's not that we're broken, but we do need extra support to heal. Yes. Yes. And, um, and, and, you know, um, I don't know whether you talk about this at all, or if this comes into your own, you know, private practice, but, but I feel that we do have still the, the child within us that still, well, I guess you do because, you know, that still has that, that hunger, yes, um, deep within and, and, you know, might be looking, um, in relationships and in other places to kind of fill that, um, uh, the way you were describing at the very beginning, um, which I thought was very interesting, you know, I hoping that maybe in, in a relationship, um, in a partner, we're going to get, you know, all those things that we wanted from a mom. Um, and so, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know where I was going with that, but well, I love <laughs> somewhere. That you, I love that you brought us back to that because what you said is that little girl is still in there and she is. Yeah. And what I've said over and over again is that I don't think as daughters, those of us with mother hunger, and I have it too, we don't outgrow our desire for a mother. We just don't outgrow. We always want a mother to bring us soup when we don't feel well or to comfort us mm -hmm. when we're hurting or to cheer us on when we accomplish something. Yeah. And, and there's grief across the lifespan when we don't have that. Even when we find healthy replacements, there is still grief during times where we feel vulnerable when we identify what we didn't have. Um, but I do think you're right on here with emphasizing that for many, many women, the delayed identification of mother hunger comes because we're looking for that love um, romantically or sometimes with our mm -hmm. friendships and putting unrealistic expectations mm -hmm. unconsciously, of course, on our friends. And for many, many women, this is commingling with um, eating habits that cause us difficulty. And so we can get so focused on how we eat, what we eat, how much not to eat, 
that we miss the grief. We miss the core wound. We don't identify mother hunger. Part of the reason we don't see it is there's been no name. With a name, we can find it, but still searching for love and trying to find the perfect body size or the perfect amount of food can really masquerade um, the grief. So we we kind of get frozen. We get frozen in this grief process of realizing what we didn't have so that we can then go fill it back up. So can you talk a bit more about that? Because um, when I think about, you I mean, you mentioned grief, yeah. but I'm thinking about how many, many women who haven't had and men, um, you know, the, that close nurturing relationship, that soothing from their um, moms that they may have learned to self-soothe through eating. Exactly. And so, yeah. And so that's kind of the pattern. So are you saying that when we start to address that, that we can recognize maybe some of the, you know, compulsive eating or overeating when we're not hungry and all of that can start to change a little bit? It does start to change. Actually, I've seen it time and time again that when women... Well, and I'm saying women because I primarily work with women, but mother hunger Mm -hmm. impacts men and women. So it's not gender specific. Mm -hmm. It's not socioeconomically specific. It's not race specific. This is a universal attachment injury. Um, But because I work with women, I do write for women and speak about that. And Mm -hmm. what I have found is that when mother hunger starts to heal, eating patterns start to heal. Um, Because if you think about it, our first experience of love comes from our mother and how she feeds us. So those two things are inextricably linked in our body before we have cognition or language. Our experience Mm -hmm. of love comes from how we are fed as infants. And so as we grow, usually the first thing we have access to to regulate ourselves other than thumb sucking or holding a blanket is the next thing is when we can crawl to the kitchen and get something to eat. We yes. can soothe the achiness that comes from not having nurturing or safety. And in that way, I have found that working with um, mother hunger and means I'm also going to be working with food. It's just the first love that takes the place mm. when um, we couldn't rely on our caregiver. Yeah. So it requires a lot of patience to unravel that food bind because that's the been the best friend. Yes. Yeah. And I would imagine that until, until you also learn how to self-regulate or self-soothe, I, I you know, I don't really know how that would... Um, that would change. Well, actually, in, it's my experience and my belief that you can't auto-regulate auto yourself away from a food issue. You have to co-regulate. So healing will only come in a relationship. This is a relational wound. It needs relational healing. Mm. So I really try to help women understand that that you can't do this by yourself. I mean, there are things that make it easier that you can do alone, such as Reiki treatments and meditation and listening to podcasts like yours, but truly the best and most enduring healing comes in a relationship with someone who will help you replace some of what you lost. 
And for some women on the mild end of mother hunger, that happens in a friendship that can happen in a in a romantic relationship. My experience is women with third degree mother hunger that that needs to happen in a clinical relationship with someone who truly yeah. understands the devastation of this injury and can nurture those parts of you that are newborn that are under age one and under age two. So let me ask you, so how can you give us an idea of, as an example, like how would you do that for the parts of them that is so young? I can talk about how I do that, but I think mm -hmm. it would also be helpful if I maybe give some suggestions for, um, well, I do that in an intensive format where I've got a client for, um, a weekend and I have ways that we can do some somatic work and um, get in touch with that pre-verbal infant that needs the care. But my experience is that, and I think you can really help me here, if you are trauma trained, if you understand complex trauma, you understand the body holding the memory, you're a good person to help someone with third degree mother hunger. So your training, mm -hmm. for example, Monique, and, and mm -hmm. many of my colleagues that have been trained um, with Pat Ogden, with Peter Levine, who understand the somatic element of this, and then mm -hmm. also have an awareness of attachment. So they're using attachment EMDR, not just regular EMDR, yeah. but attachment EMDR in um, Laura Parnell's um, methodology. Mm -hmm. If you find... Let's say you're a woman, you're identifying with um, third-degree mother hunger. You know that this is your legacy. You need a trauma-sensitive, somatic-trained, attachment-focused EMDR clinician. And I do all that, but I'm not the only one that does all mm -hmm. that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There are mm -hmm. more and more of us out there that can do this. And I, I think cptsd.org has a list of clinicians that are trained. Am I right about that? I, I'm not sure, but I know that I think so. That there are, yeah, yeah there are many somatic practices um, that can really that can really help with that. Um, in fact, I did. Uh, you mentioned um, EMDR attachment EMDR, and actually, there is a podcast episode. Um, if you if you go back, you'll find it, um, and we we talk about what that is exactly. Um, but you know, in a in a little bit of a more general way, what I have found. Um, working with my own clients and with me personally, uh, one of the biggest healing healing pieces was that when you're not seen, you're not heard, you're not validated, um, you're not looked on with compassion. When that is done in a trusted relationship, you start to see yourself, when you see yourself in the eyes of a compassionate witness and they hear your story and they, um, they, they, they empathize with you, you start to, once you feel witnessed in that way, it's, it's in a way, it's like you've been witnessed, um, from the beginning, not completely, but it does start to change stuff within you. You start to see yourself a little bit differently. Um, so I find that extremely, extremely important. And then, of course, the dysregulation. I mean, learning, learning, um, you know, regulating tools, becoming aware of, of um, you know, the different places that your, your nervous system goes towards, you know, autonomically and, and what you can do to bring yourself back to a place of safety and connection. So that's, those are just little things that um, can, can really make a huge difference. Those are big things. I think finding a fair witness is the most profound piece of healing 
that is essential. So I'm glad you brought that up. But yeah. Um, and I think that sometimes with complex post-traumatic stress and third-degree mother hunger, the clients I've worked with um, have never actually felt a sense of safety and security. Yep. So even if it presents itself, it's not recognizable. Does that make sense? Oh, like, yeah. That someone who is safe and someone who's available can actually be terrifying. Mm-hmm. So that's where even someone with third-degree mother hunger may have a fair witness in a friend or a partner, but not be able to tolerate the proximity, mm. which is why a trained clinician who understands that, mm -hmm. who can titrate the level of exposure, mm. can be really helpful, yes. who can just really bit by bit introduce the concept of safety and kindness, because too much too fast does not work. It's like the you'll have an allergic reaction and either run away yeah, or shut like down. you want to throw up or yeah. shut down. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, lo I love that because, um, and that, that's really, you know, what we're learning overall with, with, um, healing is that because our, our system is so quick to go into these adaptive places and shutting down, I love the, um, the way that we can do it in small little bits, titration, um, you know, I think Deb Dana calls it, you, 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 you don't stress the system, you stretch the system. And mm -hmm. you, yeah. And I love yes. that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Slowly build kind of a, a new window of tolerance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So is there anything else you, you want to talk about with regards to mother hunger? I think um, we've covered a, a lot of territory here, and maybe I can just say that my hope with this um, book and being able to speak with you about mother hunger is really that there's a name for basically an invisible heartbreak mm -hmm. that feels so intrinsic to the psyche that most women feel like maybe they're just broken or something's wrong with me. And this name, I hope, relieves some of that burden, some of that shame, some of that confusion. There's nothing wrong with you. There was something inadequate in the caregiving environment, and it can get better. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Kelly. If, if people would like to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, how can they do that? Well, right now I'm um, on a bit of a... Uh, COVID slash book sabbatical. <laughs> so um, I am doing my best to be present on Instagram, which is still kind of new for me. Um, but it's a great place to reach out if, if you feel like you'd like to do that. Okay. Um, could you tell us, I'll put it in the show notes, but maybe you can just mention it now. What is your name on Instagram? Oh, of course. That would be helpful. See, this is so new. It's um, <laughs> Daniel Therapy. So, uh, yeah, it's the little at sign and Kelly McDaniel therapy. Um, Great. So I'm keeping updates there on what's going on with the book. It's going to be out in July. So for women that would like more information about this, the book will be out in the summer. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate your well-informed questions. <laughs> What can trauma recovery coaching offer? It can offer a safe place to feel supported and encouraged. 
You'll also learn about your nervous system and how to feel more regulated through the practice of somatic tools to regulate your nervous system. You'll learn the importance of boundaries and you will learn about inner child work, self-compassion, how to deal with those feelings of stuckness, and so much more. To find out more about my trauma recovery coaching options, you can reach me on my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. You can also visit me on Instagram and Facebook at cptsdcoach. Thank you.